Good morning, good morning, everyone. My name is, welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you, big book study. My name is Mata, Monica, <laughs> and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Friday, January the 18th, 2013. Today we are reading from the big book on page 102 and the first full paragraph that starts, Why Sit with a Long Face? And today's readers are Miriam for the 12 Steps, Rita for the 12 Traditions, and our other readers are in this order, Shara, Sarah, Sharon, Kim, Hoodie, and Paula. And the share code for yesterday, Thursday, is 3696. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA Fifth Tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Miriam to read the 12 steps. Star one to unmute, Miriam. Monica, I can do that. Okay, please. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. This is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Minnesota. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him 
praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry the message, this message, to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you, Melanie. I will now ask Rita to read the Twelve Traditions. Good morning, everybody. This is Rita. Very grateful to be a compulsive overeater. The Twelve Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may, expre- as he may express himself in our group conscious. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be uh, organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be brought into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personality. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Rita. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirements for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And today, we are resuming our study of the big book on page 102, the first full paragraph that starts, Why Sit with a Long Face? And I will ask Sarah to begin reading. Star one to unmute. Sorry, my muting. 
Good morning. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, A Vision for You. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, good. I'll just start. Why sit with a long face in places where there is drinking, sighing about the good old days? If it is a happy occasion, try to increase the pleasure of those there. If a business occasion, go and attend to your business enthusiastically. If you are with a person who wants to eat in a bar, by all means go along. Let your friends know they are not to change their habits on your accounts. At a proper time and place, explain to all your friends why alcohol disagrees with you. If you do this thoroughly, people, few people will ask you to drink. While you were drinking, you were withdrawing from life little by little. Now you are getting back into the social life of this world. Don't start to withdraw again just because your friends drink liquor. This paragraph, you know, is talking to a person after step 12. This is person step 12. This is after a person's, you know, recovered their their um, daily spiritual fitness. And if they're in a, um, um, in a place of neutrality, this is a person, you know, who we've already mentioned this week about how a person's already at a certain point where the food is... Um, They've already gotten beyond the point of where they're being controlled by the food in their surroundings. But now, you know, the program of recovery for me and this paragraph just is just showing me how I can so have the tendency to stay in a place of of um, I need to hide from the world. I need to live. I'm a compulsive overeater. I can't go exist, coexist in the planet. I can't go out to restaurants. I can't go to weddings. I was at a wedding last night, and you know, and it was totally fine. It was totally fine. And it, what's the miracle is that I used to go to the weddings just to get the kind of food that I wanted. I was like, oh, what are they going to serve? And now I'm my whole focus has totally shifted to. How am I going to reconnect with the people I only get to see at those weddings and rekindle those friendships and to be there with a smile on my face and no longer having to hide from the world and also no longer um, having to control the rest of the world by telling them or showing them what they need to do to be just like me because, after all, I have all the answers. What's so beautiful here is that to um, let the, let your friends know they are not to change their habits on your account. It means I've found a spiritual solution for me, but I can go to these parties and I can be surrounded by compulsive overeaters who are, who are just like I was, and I don't have to. I can just be a model of what's possible. I don't have to um, have them change to become like me, because I found a solution that's totally changed my life. And even if they're, and especially if they're not compulsive overeaters, I don't have to project how they really are, because I found uh, this program which has completely changed my life. I don't longer have to change other people and their behaviors. I can show up, and I can show up comfortable in my own skin, happy and joyous and prepared to contribute to other people's happiness and to improving the quality of their lives just by being who God is having me be. And it's such a blessing, and it's such a miracle, and it's such a joy. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Sarah. Would anyone like to share on this paragraph? This is Kim. Morning, Kim. Please share. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, my fellows. 
My name is Kim. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. While you were drinking, you withdrew from life little by little. Now you are getting back into the social life of this world. So this is so essential. You know, this program isn't just about getting abstinence. This program is about learning to live in sobriety, learning to be happy about being abstinent. That's a totally different perspective because when we are withdrawing from life, I'm going to read from page 151 to talk about what my life was like before. It says, the less people tolerated us, the more we withdrew from society and from life itself. As we became subjects of king alcohol, shivering denizens in his mad realm, the chilling vapor that its loneliness settled down. So it was king alcohol. What is a king? A king is someone that dominates his subjects. And that's what it was like for me. You know, food dominated my life. There wasn't a decision throughout my day that wasn't dominated by food. How I went to work, the, the way I drove to work was dominated by what fast food restaurants I could go. You know, Thanksgiving, I didn't call it Thanksgiving. I called it Turkey Day because it was about the food. You know, as, as Sarah was just talking, if you asked me about any wedding in my 20s, I could tell you it was on the buffet. I couldn't tell you who was in the wedding party. You know, when I visited my cousins in Virginia, I was, ooh, Pop-Tarts, not my cousins. You know, Halloween was about Snickers bars, not about the kids. You know, everything was dominated, dominated by the food. So now as we are we were um, getting back into the social life of this world, I had to learn to redefine what my, these events were. You know, Turkey Day became Thanksgiving. It became a day to give gratitude. Halloween became about the wonder of the kids in their funny little outfits. Visiting my cousins in Virginia is about visiting my cousins. Weddings are about celebrating two people who found each other and are want to spend the rest of their life together. So now that we are, we are not drinking, it's not good enough just to be abstinent. It's not good enough just to be white-knuckling it and putting our head in the pillow going, thank God I beat the food today. We need to learn how to live abstinent and happy. And just to give you a secret, that's not about putting the food down. That's about practicing these principles in all of our affairs. That is about, about walking through these steps having that spiritual experience, and then learning to live among our fellows and be happy, joyous, and free. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Nicole. Morning, Nicole. Please share. Thank you, Monica. Good morning. Good morning, Vision, for you. This is Nicole, a gratefully recovering compulsive overeater. Um... What I can relate to in this paragraph and what this paragraph just shouts out to me is my um, self-centeredness. When I was in the food, just how self-centered I was. I I actually didn't even know I was that self-centered. But, you know, when you're sitting there, if you're going to sit there with a long face, sighing, that's that's self-centeredness. Um, if you're going to a happy occasion and you're not trying to increase increase the pleasure of those that are there and you're just thinking of yourself, it's self-centeredness. So this paragraph is showing us how to live selflessly. And 
it reminded me of something that I remembered reading in Bill's story. On page 13 and 14 in Bill's story, he wrote, Belief in the power of God plus enough willingness, honesty, and humility to establish and maintain the new order of things were the essential requirements. Simple, but not easy. A price had to be paid. It meant destruction of self-centeredness. I must turn in all things to the Father of light who presides over us all. And just the link between working with others, recognizing our natural tendency, or at least my natural tendency, to be self-centered, this is just a very good paragraph for me as like a little reminder that, you know, Nicole, it's not all about you. And um, I hate to say that I used to think it always was, but it really always was about me. And I'm so thankful now to have my eyes opened and to realize, well, I didn't have God at my center. I had me at my center. I created this little universe with me at the center. And if things didn't go according to me, then I was spinning out of control and and eating. So I just wanted to share that. I hope you all have a wonderful, blessed day. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Nicole. Would anyone else like to share? This is Christy. Christy, go ahead. And and then Leah. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, A Vision for You. This is Christy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater and uh, grateful, grateful for that today. Um, the, the part of this paragraph that jumped out at me is, um, if a business occasion, go and attend to your business enthusiastically. And it reminds me of what was, God willing, to be my third day of abstinence, you know, and it was, uh, you know, September of 2001. And, um, I had been invited. I didn't have a job. I'd been unemployed for months. For months, I weighed 300 pounds, and I had two full days, which was nothing short of a miracle for someone like me, of abstinence, back-to-back, back-to-back abstinence, clean, clean, clean abstinence. And um, I had been invited by a potential employer to, to attend a networking event at um, you know, an independent breakfast restaurant that uh, served my trigger foods, you know, sugar, fat, and flour on a platter. And, um, you know, <laughs> it was important for me to attend this event, but the most important thing for me was my abstinence. And I talked to my sponsor and, uh, you know, who I'd known for all of two days and, you know, I, I said, there's no way I want to try to eat breakfast at this establishment. There's no way. There's just no way. I mean, it just, I, I couldn't even imagine trying to do that. And um, and so we came up with a plan. And the plan we came up with is that I was going to bring my breakfast. I was going to call my sponsor before I went to the event. And I ate my breakfast in the parking lot. And it wasn't a big deal. And when I went to the event, um, you know, what I was charged with was attending to my business enthusiastically. And I could go there, and while other people were eating the food that three days before I would have eaten with um, a vengeance, I sat quietly by and said, no, thank you. You know, no, thank you. And people didn't go on and on about why I wasn't eating um, nobody cared. Nobody cared. And I just sat there and I, 
you know, drank coffee, and I talked about business. I talked about business. And, um, you know, I may or may not have gotten a job, you know, either way, but I was offered a job. I was offered a job at that company, and I've been employed ever since. You know, I mean, I, I have, you know, I have an established relationship with that company. I no longer work there, but I didn't burn any bridges when I left. And, um, you know, that's all because of practicing the principles in all my affairs. I, I know what I would have acted like in addiction, in active addiction. I know what I would have acted like. All I would have been thinking about, even if I wasn't eating that food, was how I was going to get something similar afterwards. That's all I would have been thinking about. The most important thing for me that day was not getting a job. It was my abstinence. I did not care if I never worked again. The most precious thing for me was my abstinence. It wasn't what people thought of me because I wasn't eating the food they were eating. It was my abstinence. And I was amazed at how much of the fog had cleared just in two days from not eating compulsively. I was absolutely astounded. It was nothing short of a miracle. It was nothing short of a miracle. And I clung to that like my life depended on it. And I do the same thing today. The most important thing to me today is my abstinence. And you know, I just, I just want to share briefly, it's not my story, but a friend of mine was sharing how she happened to be in a restaurant. And you know, she was eating a particular way and um, happens to weigh and measure her food. She was weighing and measuring her food. And the server was asking her about what she was doing and why she was weighing and measuring her food. And, you know, my friend happened to share what she was doing and why she was doing it. And um, the server from that restaurant joined our program. You know, that's how we can be of service. Um, instead of thinking about, you know, how awkward and odd it might be that we're eating differently from other people. It's a way to be of service. It's a way to be of service. And, you know, those are just a couple of the miracles that are possible by working this program. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Christy. Leah? Thank you, Monica. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I always find this first line kind of humorous. Why sit with a long face in places where there is drinking, sighing about the good old days? Um, yeah, you know, um, sighing, you know, feeling longing or grief or yearning for. Um, you know, we have to take a good hard look. I always had to stay uh, very uh, aware where I was coming from, I'm going to sigh about the good old days. What am I feeling deprived over? You know, what are we feeling deprived over? Deprived of what? Was I deprived of my obesity? Was I deprived of my high blood pressure? Deprived about the fact that uh, in my early 20s, I couldn't run up a flight of steps without a feeling out of breath? Is that what I'm deprived about? I'm deprived about isolating, sitting on the couch, stuffing my face with contents of bakery boxes and cellophane bags while I watch uh, idiotic shows on, on a TV tube and the rest of the world goes by? Is that what I'm deprived of? I'm deprived of isolation. I'm deprived of depression. I'm deprived of repeated visits to therapists and psychiatrists and psychologists trying to find my way out of the heat of the hell that I was in. I'm deprived of the rage that I felt the anger that I had within me because I was 
destructing by my own hand and couldn't stop. I'm, I'm deprived of the lethargy, the fatigue that I felt, the inability to be productive, the shame that I felt, the way that I was living. My standard of living was decreasing faster than I could lower those standards. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm deprived of what? Suicidal thinking? This is kind of the wake-up call. You know, why sit with a long face in places where there is drinking, sighing about the good old days? I don't want to glory the good old days. <laughs> that was not glory. Uh, that was not, those were not the good old days for me. Oftentimes, you know, we will glamorize and have euphoric recall about that past, about the conviviality, about sitting around the table with family and friends and breaking bread. For me, it was complete mayhem. It was complete torture. You know, sometimes we experience memories of the good old days and the exhilaration of that, but I had to take a good, hard look at my life. My life consisted of sitting in a car in a dark parking lot and binging my brains out till my eyeballs hurt. My life consisted of falling into bed onto the pillow with tears streaming down my face, tears so hot that I can recall the heat against my face. I don't, I, don't, I don't sigh and miss that. You know, this program, it goes to the bottom here of the paragraph. While you were drinking, you were drawing from life little by little. Now you are getting back into the social life of the world. Um, you know, this program, I came here because I did not want to die. And also because I did not want to live in the way that I once lived. I lived in a way that was absent of a quality of life. This program of recovery restores our life, lives, gives us a renewed life, enables us to be reborn, and to, uh, you know, has enabled me to be the wife that I am, the mother that I am, the daughter that I am, the sister that I am, the family uh, member that I am, you know, the community member that I am, much more than merely elimination of our binge food. A whole new life. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Thank you, Leah. You took the Hi, words out is... of my mouth. Hello? Um, yes? I'm sorry. Hi, this is Gwen. Hi, Gwen. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I didn't want to take the floor. I just wanted to say that um, I, I wanted to resonate with what Leah just said and to say very quickly that um, you know, when I think back on the moments of abstinent eating and um, a place that that took me, um, those are the greatest moments in my life. And now that I'm having abstinence again, thank God I can recall a few of those times when I'm most present and most available in the very small space that I live, um, which is actually quite a big and, and, and wonderful place place. So with that, I pass. Thank you, Gwen. This is Monica. I'd like to share on this paragraph a little bit here. Um, we're in the chapter working with others. So we're being given instructions here, information on how to work with, with, um, with other people, with our sponsees. And like Leah so eloquently said about, you know, the good old days, what was good about them? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And so we're giving being given information here as a, a sponsor on how to, you know, 
help our sponsees start thinking differently and, and give them some other things to think about and do when they're going to places like this. So I see this as instructions that way. But as a recovered person, I look at this paragraph and I go, you know, I don't have to have a long face anymore. Having had a spiritual awakening, my attitude, my thinking about all these different scenarios has changed as a result of working the steps, cleaning my house. It's changed. Thank you, God. And with that, let's go on to the next paragraph, and I would like Sharon to read, please. Star one, Sharon. This is Sharon. Good morning. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Very grateful to be on the line. Grateful that you're all here. Your job now is to be at the place where you may be of maximum helpfulness to others. So never hesitate to go anywhere if you can be helpful. You should not hesitate to visit the most sordid place spot on earth on such an errand. Keep on the firing line of life with these motives, and God will keep you unharmed. Wow, what a promise. God will keep you unharmed and if we keep on the firing line of life. Uh, what is the firing line of life? With uh, what, uh, according to uh, the big book, it's getting out there. It's uh, uh Never hesitate to go anywhere. The fiery life is living, going to your job. It says above uh, uh, socializing, being with people. In other words, where we used to retreat into isolation, being on the firing line is being out there. It's, it can be frightening for some of us who retreated into the darkness of our, of our isolation. But being on the firing line, of uh, the firing line, going out there, uh, living life on life's terms. On page 62, it says that um, uh, it, it's talking about, uh, this is uh, talking about the fourth step, and it says that um, right now, our job now is, let's see, God was going to be our director. He is the principal. We are his agents. And that, so now we're an agent of God. We are his children. He's the, he's the director. We're no longer running the show. And so on the firing line of life, God is directing us. We're act out in life now acting as his agent. We're no longer alone. We, are, we, we don't go without a covering of protection. We go out into the world knowing that we have a purpose. Who am I? I am an agent of God. I am his servant. God is my master. And so we're not going just to be going. We're not going uh, full of fear. We are going because we have a purpose. There's a plan. There's a motive. We're being directed. Our job now is to be where we can be of maximum helpfulness to others. So wherever we go, to that wedding, on our job, how can I be helpful? How can I be of love and service? I've worked with people. They, they, they start off in this program. 
their job is on the line or they don't have a job. Uh, they can't work because they can't get along with anyone at work. They Things happen all the time to them. Life is beating them up, treating them badly. They get in program. They get recovered. They do the, go through these, the steps, and all of a sudden, they show up, and they're not having the same problems that they used to have with people. They're out there. They go to work. Their, their uh, employers love them because they're showing up. They're ready to go. They want to do whatever they need to do to help uh, the company, to help do uh, other employees. And we're out there. We're being of maximum usefulness to others. I love this paragraph. This paragraph really is is where the rubber hits the road for me. It's these. It's it's right here where I learn to live. I learn to find joy in life. I learn to get to to find that happiness. So I go from darkness into light. I find that when I put myself aside, when I go out there and I'm Try, how can I help you? How can I serve? What can I do? Where can I be of service? I get taken care of. God takes care of me and my needs when I'm out there being of maximum service, being of maximum usefulness to others. And you cannot go wrong when you put this program, this paragraph into action in your life. You cannot go wrong. It's a promise. It's a guarantee. God will keep you unharmed. Uh, when you're out there on the firing line of life. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? This is Paula. May I share? Paula, go ahead. Thank you. Oh, I have just been just feel like I got a shower of the most wonderful recovery in listening to this. But um, I, as we read this, your job now is to be at the place. So I've got a new job here because I have a new employee. And as was written on the top of the page, I'm going to scoot to the top and then back again, but it says, but be sure you are on solid spiritual ground. If I am there, I know the truth. I know the truth. I know my motives clearly because I've consulted God himself. And then it says clearly, maximum helpfulness to others. No minimum anymore. That's what it used to be. And it would be for my own motives. Well, I'll give them that, so then I'll get this. No. What I receive is so much far greater when I give. But then it says you should not hesitate. Okay, no hesitation there because you know who you go with. You're not going alone. Keep on the firing line of life with these motives. There it is. There it is. With these motives. And God will keep you untimed. To be helpful. I, I keep thinking of that first, that first um, the, when we start this, this chapter, to be helpful is our only aim. That's it. That's it. None other. None other. But the way it ends, God will keep you unharmed, safe and protected, no matter where you go. But here, too, the example you set by living this life, as was shared before, it draws others. When it said, the chap- let your friends know they are not to change their habits on your account. Oh, no. On their account, if they have the same problem, the same thing you have, the same disease, oh, it's very prevalent, by the way, and most in these places 
weddings, business places. Yep. So what we what we do, what we say, how we live is an example. What we can give, God will keep you unharmed. So with that out of the way, you can give fully. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Okay. Hi, this is Robin. Okay. Robin, go ahead. Hi, this is Robin. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, Your job now is to be at a place where you may be of maximum helpfulness to others. Um, The thing is, maybe you are able to do this whole program as if you're in inpatient treatment, but I haven't been able to. Um, My first weeks in program, I was you know, flipping burgers, taking care of kids, doing the grocery shopping, um, still going to, you know, uh, social events with my husband, going out into the world, doing my volunteer work. And um, I was taught right away to be of maximum helpfulness to others by not withdrawing, by not hiding out. Um, I can't wait sometimes until I am fit spiritually. Sometimes I ha- sometimes I'm thrown into a situation because of a busy family life or you know just the fact that I I live in the world. And what I was taught early on is to be out there, to to be careful, to be prepared by talking to my sponsor, by getting the support I needed through my network, um by praying before going into a situation. But Getting out there, being in the world, because my higher power, I I understand now, wants me to bring my program out into the world where maybe I can help somebody else. So in working with others, as I'm talking to my sponsees, the idea is, I believe, to help prepare them so that they can go out into the world. And the preparation for me, the very top, when I look at all the different things I could do to prepare to be out in the world, to bring my food plan out into the world, to um, do the different things that I do, at the very top of the list is um, selflessness. No more self-centeredness. Not going out there expecting the rest of the world to adapt to me, um, not feeling sorry for myself, not feeling any self-pity, because why? Why would I feel self-pity? I am so blessed today to be able to bring this program out into the world. So if I go out there with the attitude of, I'm not ashamed, I don't feel sorry for myself, I am walking with God today, and how can I bring God into this world? How can I benefit you? How can I be of service to you? And that can happen on day four, It doesn't have to happen after I've been through all 12 steps. And often it must happen on day four because of the lives that we live. So, um, but of of course in the beginning there's going to be fear because of all of my past. And as I'm talking to sponsees then, when I hear the fear, which is going to come up if somebody's being honest with me, when I hear the fear is you are walking with God now. Go out there and see how you can be God's servant. Go out and be out go out there and be God's handmaiden. You can do it. You have all of this power behind you now. Prepare. Prepare with your food. Prepare with your maybe your bookend phone calls. 
but go out there and be in the world and see how you can be of maximum service to, to God and to others. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Robin. Kim, Hi, would you now read? Oh. I'm sorry, who was that? This is Lisa from South Jersey. I'd like to share. Okay, I'm sorry. Lisa, go ahead. Yeah, good morning, Monica. Good morning, everyone. Oh, God will keep you unharmed. First of all, I'd like to just thank everyone for their sharing. It's just oh, my heart, and it's hard to follow. But I did want to share that um, I've experienced in this process, I'm going through the process of recovery right now, and um, I've experienced that once I turned my will and my life over to God, no matter what's going on, I'm protected from harm. And to go into a situation with the consciousness of being helpful makes such a shift in how I experience it. I'm a vocalist, and I'm singing at a wedding tomorrow. And um, I'm, I'm not concerned about the food or what's going to be there. I mean, although I already know that part, I'm just so excited for my friend who's so happy who's getting married. I'm so grateful to be abstinent and clear and to be willing to stand before over 200 people and open my heart and sing. In the food, I'm not able to do that. And I don't have to today ask people not to do what they would normally do. Let your friends know, in the paragraph above, let your friends know they are not to change their habits on your account. You know, I was sitting in a restaurant um, with some other people that I sing with, and they were all ordering desserts. And they know about um, my compulsive overeating, and they know I'm in a 12-step program. And they're all, like, apologizing. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, maybe we shouldn't order dessert, Lisa. I'm so sorry. And the person sitting next to me had... um, like my absolute favorite dessert in my active addiction. And, you know, um, she was, like, feeling guilty about enjoying it. And I said to her, you know, Susan, enjoy that. I know it's good for you. I could be okay with her enjoying that, but I know for me, for me, I have to stay away from it. It's poison to me, not necessarily to her. And I don't have to be, oh, man, I wish I could have had that. Oh, damn, I couldn't have, you know, or I don't have to figure out something else that tastes like it, that's abstinent. All that obsession with having the textures, the taste, the smells that would give me the hit and the rush that I get from God now, that I get from this program, that I get from being free of this this obsession with food, I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful, and I feel so blessed and so, so blessed for every recovered person who speaks on this line, who shows up every morning and gives us instructions on how to live our life, you know. But most importantly, 
I'm grateful today to have faith. I've always believed in God. I've always known that there was a God, but I never felt like that God was there for me. And this program has helped me redefine a higher power. And I know I have a constant companion. I know I have a friend that goes with me everywhere I go, no matter what is happening. God will keep me unharmed. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Lisa. This is Monica. Your job now is to be in a place where you may be of maximum healthfulness. So we have a new employer. You know, it's God. And this, this, it, it's all about God. It's everything to do with God. And here I'm paying back to God from my gratitude. I'm paying back to him by helping others. What can I do for you today? You know, when you're grateful, you're excited. And when you're excited, you can be helpful to others. And when we're helpful to others, it gets us out of ourselves. You know, like Bill and Bill's story, um, that first year and a half after he first stopped drinking, he had periods of despair. He had periods of, he had resentments. And he found that if he went to work and helped another person, it helped him every time. And with that, I, let's move on to the next paragraph. And Kim, would you please read? Good morning, everyone. Um, many of us keep liquor in our homes. We often needed to carry green recruits through a severe hangover. Some of us still serve it in our, to our friends, provided they are not alcoholic. But some of us think we should not serve liquor to anyone. We never argue this question. We feel that each family, in the light of their own circumstances, ought to decide for themselves. Good morning, everyone, again. Many of us keep liquor in our homes. We never argue this question. You know, I think back to the doctor's opinion when it talks about a soothing cauldron of debate. You know, we can debate this. But what I want to say about this is that, you know, this is about after we have recovered, after we have walked through the steps, and we have been restored to sanity, we can each make a decision according to our own circumstances. I think that seizing cauldron of debate happens when we're talking about working a period, a program of abstinence only. Abstinence only, because we're fighting the food. We're constantly fighting the food. And I remember a conversation I had with someone when I was abstinent only. I'm single, and it was a woman with young children, and I said to her, I have no idea how you do this. How do you do it? Because you have to keep food in the house for the kids. And she looked at me, and she said, God, Kim, I thought to myself, how do you do it? You live alone. You have no one you're accountable to. You could keep whatever food you want in the house. I don't know how I could ever be single. You know, so it's, it's each of us have to look at our own circumstances. The grass is always greener on the other side. We always think we have it worse or we have it better. But what we have to do is get through these 12 steps, through these 12 steps, and then we can be restored to sanity. Then we can, we can reflect with God. We can reflect with our sponsor what works best for the circumstances of our family. You know, and I just wanted to share a quick miracle. I, I do live alone, and I had an injury when my parents had to live with me for about three months, three years ago, two years ago. And I was cleaning out my pantry recently, and I found a lot of food in there that I had to throw out because I had kept it in the house for my, my parents. You know, and that's the miracle of this program. It's not that I don't have to eat. It's not that I'm strong enough to resist the food. 
It's that I don't want to eat. I have no idea what was in my pantry because it wasn't my food. You know, I always memorized my pantry. I always memorized my refrigerator. And I would, whether I was looking in and out of the refrigerator or I was sitting down, I would be tortured by the food that was in there. But because I walked through these steps and because I am recovered today, what was in the pantry was irrelevant. So I wound up having to throw out food because I didn't even know it was there. So that is the miracle. That's when we can make these decisions about our own family circumstances because the obsession has been removed. So we never argue this question. We feel that each family, in the light of their own circumstances, ought to decide for themselves. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to share? Star one, it's on you. Hi, this is Sarah. Can I share? Yes, Sarah, go ahead. But some of us think we should not serve liquor to anyone. We never argue this question. We feel that each family, in the light of their own circumstances, ought to decide for themselves. I love how so many places in this book where it just allows, you know, for different circumstances. There's not one answer to every situation. Each family is different. What's right for each family is different. We're not trying to control other people. We're not, we're not the director. We're not the boss. We're not the employer. We're, just, we're not telling other people because what's right for us is right for us. We're not telling other people what they need to do in order to fix their lives. And in order, you know, that we're right and our way is the only way. And it just shows us that every circumstance it's going to be different. We're not going to debate it. We're not here to fight. We're not here to judge. We're not here to condemn. We're not here to, you know, to control. We're not here to control other people. We're here to recover. We're here to transform our lives and to develop a relationship with God, to have to have a relationship with God and to be of service in the world and to and to be free from being controlled by the bakery box, the cellophane bag, the you know, the bottles, the whatever it is, not to be controlled by anything other than our humble servants service to God. And everybody's humble service to God is going to look different. And each person's circumstances. I remember somebody had shared on a meeting like she doesn't um you know, and I respect it and I felt so jealous of this person who recognizes what poison this food, certain, you know, these foods, her binge foods were to her and she doesn't serve anything to her family that she would never eat. And I don't do that. <laughs> and I was feeling so, I had so much like guilt and like, you know, maybe I'm not good enough or maybe I'm not, you know, caring enough to my family that I serve them foods that I can't eat. And, you know, this... This paragraph just tells me that you know every circumstance is different, and I don't I can put down that rod of comparison. I don't have to compare my situation and the choice and my family to somebody else's and their choices and and what's good for them. What's good for them may be good for them. It may not be good for me. And just because it's good for them doesn't mean it's good for me. And just because something's good for me doesn't mean that that's exactly what you need to do. This is so individualized because we're different people. We're different circumstances. We're different binge foods. There are certain binge foods that I can't eat that somebody else in this program can eat. There's some that are more universal, but some of them, you know, like are just not. And 
are as abstinent to one that may not be abstinent to another. And this is such an individualized program that we don't debate and take control where we're not meant to. We're here to be humble servants, humble servants of God, to show up for how he would have us be and and not carpet the world, just put on our slippers. With that, I'll pass. Have a great day. Thank you, Sarah. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Okay, let's move on to the next paragraph and see if we might be able to finish this today. And Hoodie, could you read the next Hi, paragraph, Monica, please? Hi, Monica. This is Hoodie, compulsive reader. We are careful never to show intolerance or hatred of drinking as an institution. Experience shows that such an attitude is not helpful to anyone. Every new alcoholic looks for the spirit among us and is immensely relieved when he finds we are not witch burners. A spirit of intolerance might repel alcoholics whose lives could have been saved had it not been for such stupidity. We would not even do the cause of temperate drinking any good, for not one drinker in a thousand likes to be told anything about alcohol by one who hates it. Should I finish it up? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Someday we hope that Alcoholics Anonymous will help the public to a better realization of the gravity of the alcoholic problem. But we shall be of little use if our attitude is one of bitterness and hostility. Drinkers will not stand for it. After all, our problems were of our own making. Bottles were only a symbol. Besides, we have stopped fighting anybody or anything. We have to. And I'll pass. Thank you, Hoodie. Would anyone like to share on this? Star one to unmute. This is Katie. Good morning, Katie. Please share. Good morning. I'm Katie. It's Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Um, Someday we hope that Alcoholics Anonymous will help the public to a better realization of the gravity of the alcoholic problem. Um, but we shall be of little use if our attitude is one of bitterness and hostility. Um, I'm sad to say I don't think the world has embraced uh, Overeaters Anonymous the way they have embraced Alcoholics Anonymous. But um, I can say that my attitude is not of bitterness or hostility. That is the difference between abstinence and a diet, Um, that I am not jealous or mad or sad when I see other people eating foods that I used to eat because I didn't eat them the way they eat them. I ate them with a vengeance. I ate them till I was sick. I didn't know how, and I could, with it was, impossible for me to eat a small amount of food and once I accepted that with joy and see where life has gone because of that um, acceptance I no longer want to eat a small portion of this or that Um, like Kim shared a few minutes ago you know I throw food away all the time because my family doesn't finish it and in my house growing up, that never happened. And I was the one who always knew what we had and would, 
you know, eat the ice cream from the bottom of the container so you maybe wouldn't realize that it was gone and, you know, just all those things that I did that um, kept our our family, you know, needing just the ingredients to make things because I made all these concoctions. And, you know, my family today, they eat what they want. And I, um, you know, I don't feel compelled or sad or mad that they're able to do that. And, you know, that's the message that I want people who are struggling with this program to get. I want people to understand that it's not um, a sad state that I live in because I don't have my food. That acceptance of this program has given me a life beyond what I could have ever imagined. Um, so, yes, we have to. We have to stop. And I don't have to be... Um, bitter and angry at those who are still able to eat. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone else like to share? This is Paula. May I share? Go ahead, Paula. Thank you. You know, we're coming to the end of this chapter, but isn't it not a beginning working with others? And there the opportunities are put before us because we're on solid spiritual ground. But this first line, and I'm going to scoot right there, we... Okay, so here we are together. We are careful never to show intolerance or hatred or drinking as an institution. We have no right to do that. We have no right to do that. And were we not at that same place? Were we not the one that was compulsively eating? And then it says, experience shows that such an attitude is not helpful to anyone. Oh, yeah, you're going to draw a lot of people there. A lot of newcomers are going to say, I want what she has. Yeah, beat them over the head? No. But I'll tell you something. A spirit of intolerance might repel alcoholics whose lives could have been saved. You need to realize, I need to realize, that the newcomer's life, as mine was, as mine was, had it not been for such stupidity, you know, I hate that word. I really hate that word. But I'll tell you, it's placed properly here. It is placed properly here. And why is it such a strong word? Because we said the line before, whose lives could have been saved? Whose lives could have been saved? But I'm going to scoot right down to the bottom. There is much to share here. After all, our problems were our own making. Whoever saw that? I finally saw. Honey, I finally put my glasses on. Lord, I was nearsighted, I was farsighted, and I was colorblind. I was all of those. But yet, it was a symbol be it a drug, be it a drink, be it a bite. Besides, we've stopped fighting anybody or anything. Is not the, the first step that we take each day. We surrender. We surrender. And it's the strangest thing. When we put those weapons down, we get to pick up the spiritual tools and we get to live it. And very clearly it says, we have to, with a wonderful explanation point, Thank you for allowing me to share with that. I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to share on this before we close? This is Jerry. May I share? Go ahead, Jerry. Well, I, I am a recovering compulsive reader, uh, just coming out of relapse, but 
I've been in programs 30 years, and the coolest thing about this passage is the sharing with others. Uh, when you see your mother sharing with others, she's not a compulsive overeater, she's not addicted to anything, and yet to this day, she used to um, question everything I did, and it was a difficult relationship, and now we'll be walking somewhere, and she'll just share with people, oh, my daughter's come so far, you need to know about Overeaters Anonymous, and I can laugh, because for me, I'm proud of being um, recovering in this program, and uh, that other people see the recovery, and I think that's how we we make it work. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Jerry. Would anyone else like to share on this? Okay, I, then I would like to thank, thank everyone who has shared. We will now close the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Paula, would you read a vision for you, please? This would be Paula, recovered compulsive eater, and I would be privileged to. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God. As you understand God, admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Get freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. <laughs>